My name is Dan Shawbell. I'm the author of Back to Human and the host of Five Questions with Dan Shawbell. Today on Dub Barron's show, we will talk about how technology is making us miserable and why we need to be more human. Stay tuned. Congratulations. You are tuned into Dove Barron's Leadership and Loyalty Show, the number one podcast for Fortune 500 executives and those who are dedicated to creating a quantum leap in leadership. Your host, Dove Barron, is the founder of FullMontyLeadership.com. He's an executive mentor to leaders like you, a contributing writer for Entrepreneur Magazine, CEO World, and he's been featured on CNN, Fox, CBS, and many other notable sites. Dov Barron is an international business speaker who was named by Inc. Magazine as one of the top 100 leadership speakers to hire. Now, over to Dov Barron. Welcome, dear friends, fans, and fellow aficionados of leadership excellence. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Dov Barron's Leadership and Loyalty Tips for Executives, part of the Full Monty Interview Series. I'm your host, Dov Barron, founder of Full Monty Leadership, and I'm here to assist you tapping into your deep greatness so you can reach that next level of clarity, focus, purpose, and profit in your business, your life, and your leadership impact. Today, we're going to take an insider look at how great leaders create a connection in an age of isolation. Remember, you can now chat about this episode or any of the episodes of our show on Facebook. We have our own Facebook page for the show. It's Dove Barron's Leadership and Loyalty Podcast. You can go there and chat about the show. If you're a new listener, new viewer, thank you for joining us. Strap yourself in. We're about to go full Monty. Remember, you can now find us on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you tune into podcasts. We always need your help in staying relevant, though. So please get yourself over to iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe to the show. When you do, please go back to that Facebook page, the Leadership and Loyalty Podcast, and tell us that you actually wrote your review, and maybe we'll give you a shout out on the live show. You can also find us on traditional terrestrial radio stations across the United States every Monday and Thursday, all the way from Las Vegas to Philadelphia. Also, you can find us uh, by looking for us on Roku TV, where there's over 100,000 subscribers. And if you're a regular listener, a big thank you to you for making us the number one podcast globally for Fortune 500 listeners with a potential reach of 2.5 to 4 million listeners for every single show. We're honored and grateful to be cited by Inc.com as the number one podcast to make you a better leader. By the way, you can listen to us on Google Home and Alexa by simply saying, play Dove Barron's podcast. Again, thank you for sharing the show with everybody you know. All right, let's strip it down and dive right in. As a leader, whether you are a CEO, someone in the C-suite, sales leader, entrepreneur, or leader in any capacity, you probably know that the drive to, for excellence in the world of high achievement can lead to something that is potentially more damaging than smoking. Yes, I did say that. And that is isolation. So how can we most effectively establish meaningful human connections in an age where we are all relying more and more on technology. Well, stay tuned because you're about to find out. Our guest on this episode will reveal exactly how to do that. Dan Jobel is a New York Times bestselling author, partner and research director at Fortune Workplace and the founder of both Millennial Branding and WorkplaceTrends.com. He's the best-selling author of two career books, Promote Yourself and Me 2.0. The third book, that's the one that we're going to be talking about today, is Back to Human. 
how great leaders create connections in an age of isolation. Through his companies, he's conducted dozens of research studies and worked with major brands, including American Express, GE, Microsoft, Virgin, IBM, Coca-Cola, and Oracle. Dan has interviewed over 2,000 of the world's most successful people, including Warren Buffett, Jessica Alba, Will I Am, Michael Bloomberg, Chelsea Handler, Colin, <laughs> Colin Powell, Sheryl Sandberg, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. That is a pretty mixed bag of people. In addition, he has written countless articles for Forbes, Fortune, Time, The Economist, Quartz, The World Economic Forum, Harvard Business Review, The Guardian, and has a combined it combined over 15 million views he has been recognized on several lists including inc magazines uh, 30 under 30 forbes 30 under 30 business insiders 40 under 40 business weeks 20 entrepreneurs you should follow ladies and gentlemen please put your hands together and welcome Dan Thank you so much, Dub. Was- Good to have you here, mate. <laughs> Love it. Are you sure you weren't an actor in a, a previous life or a, a sports <laughs> announcer? Uh, yeah, I, I used to be the announcer for the WWF. <laughs> I would believe it. Let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> I, I also have microphone envy right now. Yours is like 10 times better. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll keep that between us boys. <laughs> Now you, as I said, you, you're considered one of today's most dynamic young entrepreneurs. Uh, Inc. Magazine profiled you. Uh, you go out on like, you've been out on like 2000 media outlets, you know, including NBC's, the Today Show, even Fox and Friends. Um, you've been on the Steve Harvey Show, the Wall Street Journal. Uh, and you look like you're about, I don't know, 23. So t- tell 25. us- 35. Yeah, well, whatever you're taking, I'd like some of that. Uh, so tell us, you know, you've, you've really exploded into that world. Tell us, first of all, as a, you know, one of the things about entrepreneurs is they're always looking to get more visual. They're trying to, you know, be, be seen more. You are very seen. You obviously have your expertise, but is there a, is there a clue you can give uh, entrepreneurial listeners about getting that kind of exposure, getting out there in that way. It's interesting. I think there's two things that all successful entrepreneurs have in common. They want to be more successful. There's mm-hmm. always a drive to become more successful. And then of they course. want to be known for that success. And I knew that when I was you know, a recent college graduate. And so I'm like, okay, well, the best way to connect with people is to serve their needs. And the part of how I could serve their needs was to profile them and interview them. And so you know, over 2000 since then, in terms of how you can get more publicity, I would say you need to know what your story is, you know, what drives you to do what you do, why are you the person to start that company and be able to explain it very quickly, succinctly and, and actually have passion behind it, right? So like anytime I talk about the books I do, the, my companies, the research studies, like you can tell that I'm, I'm so bought into it, it's who I am. You know, everything I've ever done is folded into the next thing. I never woke up one day and said, you know, in 10 years, this is what I wanna create what I'm working on creates the next thing, right? It went from, it went from a full-time job and then a blog and then a magazine and then a book. And then I started a company and then I uh, wrote another book and then I started a company and then I sold that company and now I have another book. And so it's, everything has been built on everything else. So 
when it comes to storytelling, don't force it and make sure it feels natural to you. And then in terms of actually getting media attention, I think the most important thing is to figure out uh, how your story fits in the broader narrative locally mm -hmm. or nationally or even internationally. So for right. me, in the early days, my first platform was around personal branding and there was an economic collapse right in the, in the United States. And so I went in right into that recession and I said, hey, you know, all these people are, are getting laid off or are confused and want to develop their career. I was very early on to, on to figuring out how to use social media to build a personal brand. And so I injected myself right into the national conversation and showed that building a personal brand could be an escape or a new path for people to be a freelancer, to start a company or to, you know, brand themselves within their company and become, become a subject matter expert. And so mm -hmm. that's, that's one way I did it. And then the second wave was around millennials in the workplace and generations at work. And so that was massive when I was uh, focused on it because Time Magazine had that magazine cover the me, me, me generation. And so I was right. very timely with that. And now yeah. with Back to Human, I feel like, you know, we're at a, a really special time where people are overusing and misusing technology. Uh, you could say more so for young people, but it's really everyone. Even my mom. My mom's like, this is the first book I might actually read of your three. Uh, because when she describes it to her friends, she's like, back to human. And her friends are like, what? <laughs> is that like a sci-fi mm -hmm. movie? And then she says technology and our, our, our addiction to technology. And everyone gets it immediately after that. And so it's it, fascinating it, how each book and everything I do, it gets a little bit more broad, but it, it plays into a larger narrative and, and conversation that's going on. So think do, about do what you you're think, doing and, and how you can attach it to something bigger. Do you think there's been a, a, a natural evolution? Because the books are three very different books you know, um, uh, promote yourself, me 2.0, and then back to human, they seem, you know, if you separate them, they seem very, very different subject matter. Do you see them as a natural evolution? Yes. Or were they just an evolution for you? Yeah, so the, there's two ways to look at it. One mm -hmm. is each book helps you get to the next phase of your career. So even though Me 2.0 was the first book on how to use social media to build your personal brand, it really was like how to get a job when you graduated school. Like I'm telling mm -hmm. people how to interview and job search using Twitter, Facebook, and other social networks and blogging and all those different technology tools that were in, its, in their infancy back then. Then promote right. yourself is how to get ahead at work. You know, you just started your first job or you're a few years in, here's what managers are looking for when promoting. And so I did a study with American Express on, you know, here, you know, they weigh soft skills over hard skills. They're looking for people with a positive attitude, teamwork, and the ability to um, prioritize work because, you know, people are doing so many different projects now that you got to know what to do when. And mm -hmm. everyone's working in teams now, so you have to be able to work with people and you don't learn for the most part, unless you go to business school, how to actually collaborate in a team. When I went to business school undergrad, we were in teams trying to work on projects, you know, Harvard Business Review cases, et cetera, but not everyone gets that. And so no. it's a, a rude awakening. You go into work, you're like, oh my God, I have to work with these three, four people, you know, all the time. And I'm not prepared for that. I'd never learned how to handle conflicts and you get stuck and you need coaching right. and support. And especially now where everyone's using technology as a crutch, I'll just text somebody and call it a day, right? Uh, whereas mm. human connection is so important. While you can text people to remind them of a meeting, if there's a big conflict and you've really upset a coworker, a text is not going to solve that for you. And 
our overuse of technology has created misunderstand, a misunderstanding between people. So you think that you're expressing yourself in a certain way and you're giving good directions, but that might not be true. Well, I think that one of the things, um, I mean, let's just, let's put technology to the side for a moment. Uh, my background, as you, I think you know, is, is very deep into the psychological world. And one of the things I, I say to people all the time is, uh, nothing to do with technology. I say, uh, you're terrible at communication. It, it's not that you've got technology, it's that we've got this assumption that because we can speak and because we can hear, we think we're good at communication. And most people are terrible at it and technology's made that even more obvious. It's an amplifier. Uh, it's an, exactly, thank you, it's an amplifier. Uh, and I think that that's one of the things that we've got to pull back to first is to say, yeah, you, you're using all this thing, to, you're using technology to sort of go around an issue, but it actually magnifies the issue, as you were just saying, amplifies it. But the bottom line is that you, we have to learn to be better human communicators yeah. with each other from a place of empathy and compassion. And I know you speak a lot about that in the book and the, the importance of empathy and compassion. Do you, in your... You, you nailed, first off, you nailed this. And the, the, actually, one of the most interesting findings from the book is that the thing that gets into the, in the way of human connection the most in the workplace is email. And there was a Harvard Business uh, a Review research study that showed that one face-to-face -face conversation is more successful than 34 emails exchanged back and forth. So wow. like, we're moving back and forth with email where we constantly have to reiterate certain things we're saying. We don't know if we're being understood. And all that time is wasted where you could walk two feet and just talk to a coworker and really express what you mean. Yeah. And this is, this is, you see, this is to me, the crux of the problem is, you know, it's what is, I'm trying to think of that, that quote, I'm sure you probably even might even remember it, which is uh, we're hurry up and we're going faster to move slower. You know, it's exactly that. Like I got to send this quick email which you won't understand, which you'll have to write back to me and go, I don't really get that. I'll write back to that. Then there'll be a reading, a reading of the subtext or tone in, or, in an incorrect way. I've just had this big thread going on in Facebook. I've got these two, two talks going on, two different rants that are opposite to each other, but I see a connection between them. And every now and then somebody comes back with, well, I don't like your tone. Well, you know, do you know the actual tone? Because I don't know if I, I don't know about you, but I can't hear letters, <laughs> right? I can't hear what I'm seeing. I can make shit up in my head. And it's fascinating that we don't have these skills. I mean, what, my sign off in the show, I talk about concrete soft skills because they go in soft, but they are the foundation of your business. Do you think we've, we've lost we've lost that or do you or do you think that we ever had it which is to me is a, a more important question do you think we ever really had those skills because i get what you're saying about technology but it seems to suggest that it was there before and i don't know if it was yes and no so <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll tell you why i say that is because i think technology has revealed a lot about who we are and what's actually happening in the world with corruption and me too and and all these things that you would never have heard about 10, 20, 30 years ago, all the right. security breaches, all the people in, trying to interfere in different elections across the world. It's because technology has revealed that to us at more, 
more of our lives and more things and activities and events that are going on in the world have been surfaced through technology. And if something happens where a cop is, you know, unlawfully arresting a black person, you know, someone's there with a picture and, and potentially videoing it with their phone and that's going off everywhere. And thus that cop mm-hmm. actually, that cop wouldn't have gotten in trouble 20 years ago, but now maybe they, they get in trouble, you know? So mm-hmm. I think, I think there's the good and the bad. And that's what I learned through the book. It's a double-edged sword. It's about how, how you're using it. But I think with soft skills, I think, yes, I think people lack soft skills. And now this is revealed to us. But at the same time, I think our over in, overuse and misuse of this technology has limited our ability to have uh, this in-person communication. And honestly, like I work from home. It's been eight years. And if I don't get enough human connection, if I'm not scheduling enough meetings or video conferencing or getting out and having coffee with someone, and the next time I get into a social situation, I feel awkward. Uh, now stop there because I think that this is what what people have to grasp and I think it's what's often missed we become more and more isolated you know the gig economy and all those kinds of things and people are working remotely and we're going to talk a little bit about that but it's fascinating to me that you know you go I mean I talk about it in my in my last book fiercely loyal that this story of four people sitting around a table uh, and they've all got their heads down. And if you were back in 1950, you'd think they're all praying because they've all got their heads down. Well, they are praying. They're praying to the iPhone God, you know, and, and they're ignoring the people right in front of them to have conversations who are not in front of them, probably complaining about the lack of interaction with the people they're with. And, and it's like, I, I find that there are, I mean, I find myself doing it, you know, and I'm like, ah, ah, put it away. <laughs> Well, the technology is, it wants you to be addicted to it because that's the business model of Google and Apple and all of those massive it's companies. It's designed that way. For, it's designed a, a, that to release dopamine and, and exactly. hit your reward system. So every time you're getting an alert, you want to check your phone because you're rewarded with an update, whether it's good or bad. You're exactly. About what's going on and there's a fear of missing out. And we but want you to said something that You said something that I think is really important and you recognize it in yourself and I've certainly recognized it in myself is that if I don't have enough eye-to-eye human contact. You know, because we had a pre-chat and people say, well, can I use the phone? No. And they go, why? I don't do phone pre-chat. I want a real conversation with a real person. I want to look you in the eye. Even though I can't hug you, I want to look you in the eye. If I meet you, I'll hug you. But I need that because like you, I've noticed that my the ability the quality of my communication goes down if I don't have that. And relationships. And relationships. You establish really deep, meaningful relationships if you are just texting people and messaging them on Instagram or emailing them. Like, think about the people you've met in your life. Those that you're closest with, you actually have met, you've gone to coffee with, you've you know, gone out with, you've called them on their birthday. Like, yep. we, ha- we think Facebook has made us think we have a million friends, but we really don't. It's an illusion. In fact, well, you put, so out, you put out a stat, right? What was yeah. the stat you shared? Someone with an average of 150 Facebook friends only has three they can actually count on and who will be there for them in a time of emotional crisis. So 150 friends equals three real friends. So just for a moment, as you're listening to this, as you're watching this, I want you to think about how many quote friends you have on Facebook and that one in 50 might be a real friend. And, and I, would, I would suggest that as the numbers increase, the, number, uh, the, the percentage of real friends goes down. So out of 150, you may have three. But by the time you're at 3,000, it's not 
one in 50. It's probably one in every 500, probably more likely, right? Yeah. So we're losing, it's, again, it's this illusion of connection. Now, another thing you talk about in the book, which ties perfectly into this, and I wrote about it in my book, and I spoke about it many times on interviews, is the importance of friendship in, in the work environment. Because one of the things I freaking love about millennials, and I've said this many times, is millennials have a very different idea of work-life balance than baby boomers. We, baby boomers, went to work. We wanted to leave at five because we wanted a work-life balance. Millennials understand, I ain't leaving at five. That's not how it works. So when I'm at work, I want relationships. Tell us about what you discovered about oh that friends God. and this is, work. This is quite a topic, right? So first off, yeah. I work with Virgin Pulse. We surveyed over 2,000 managers and employees in 10 countries. And I found that 7% of the global workforce has zero friends at work, goose egg. And half of the global workforce has five or fewer. Yet we're spending so much time working. Not having your phone is a new vacation. Most people answer business email outside the office. We have a, a third of the global workforce that works remote. Two, two thirds are just engaged. So we're, we're always, you know, trying, we think we're connected. We're always working and yet we're not establishing really good relationships with people. And if we don't have a good relationship with our boss and our coworkers, then what do you think our personal lives are going to be like? You know, if you, mm -hmm. if you get yelled at by your boss, you're taking that home to your wife or husband right? Or children or friends. And if you have a bad day in your personal life, that's going to affect your work. So people are people. We're humans. And what happens at work affects our personal. What happens in our personal life affects work. So that's why we really need to work with people that inspire us, that support us, and who are very empathetic, because that's going to make our whole lives so much better. We spend a third of our whole lives working. So we got to get, that's why I concentrate so much on improving workplace cultures, because if we can improve workplace cultures, make them safe and healthy and supportive, then someone's whole life is going to improve as a result. Yeah, I, and, I love and that. Because we are working incredibly hard now, people are being burned out because we're working longer hours, no additional pay, leading to burnout and turnover is uh, half, half of all... Uh, turnovers because of burnout. So because of all this, and because there's no limits to how much you're working now, you know, we, we feel guilty when we're not responding to email on vacation or after work hours and our bosses expect us to pick up the phone or, or respond to email. So there's no really constraints around that, except in France, where if you do that, you get fined. Mm -hmm. uh, but for the most part, you know, if you don't like who you're working with, you're spending so much time with them. So that's going to really hurt your life. And that's why I'm all about work friendships. And most of the people I interviewed for the book, I interviewed a hundred young leaders from some of the best companies in the world. And most of them believe that work friendships are important because a lot of them get invited to weddings, you know, with team members, you know, so it's, it's, it can I be think it's one of the yet we lack, we lack social events and company outings and, team building activities and celebrating birthday parties at work. Only 20% of companies do. Yet in the study, we found that that's the most important thing to create a more healthy and social work environment where people are becoming friends and that leads to higher productivity and lower attrition because as millennials, as you mentioned, and this, is, this was mentioned in the book too, millennials view their team as their work family and their boss as their work parent. And so if you have a really good family, right? And, and, and a boss that supports you and you feel like you belong to this group, you're not leaving for $5,000.
right? No. The cost of you leaving is just that much greater. Mm-hmm. And companies, you know, turnover is a significant cost up to, you know, six figures, right? Depending mm-hmm. on the position. 1.5 to two times the annual salary of that individual to replace them. So that is, you know, that's a very expensive thing for you to do. And, you know, in the context of what you were just saying, you know, I speak a lot about this in my work is, is saying the days of believing, you can still believe it, but it's nonsense. The days of believing that uh, you have a work self and a personal self are over. And, and if you've got half a brain or even some level, even a fraction of self-awareness, even just a fraction, you realize, as you just said, Dan, if you're pissed off at home, you're taking that to work. And if you're pissed off at work, you're taking that home. And when we go in and do our work with companies, you know, because as you know, we do purpose-driven work, purpose-driven leaders, purpose-driven organizations, building purpose-driven companies and cultures. And what I say on the first day, listen, here's the work we're going to do. And I want you to know something. If this doesn't impact your personal life and make it better, we haven't done our job. Because I understand there is no separation. But yeah. if you're lacking those human skills, if you're checking that out, if you're not going, as you said, back to human, we're missing so much. So let's talk about it in the context of this whole thing about working remote. Yeah. Because this is, a, you know, we're all aware that working remote is more and more, it's bigger and bigger. People are more and more isolated. They, and not only this, but they're not only remote, but they're often cross-cultural. So that's difficult enough oftentimes with somebody in the same room. It's literally the biggest, the biggest finding that came out of this book from the study was that if you work remote, you're much less likely to say you want a long-term career at your company. And to me, that had such a huge impact once I you know, discovered that finding because I've worked remote for eight years. And if I were to be really honest with myself, if I didn't see my business partner employees for a year, I'd be checked out. I'd be, I'd be selling stock, sure. <laughs> right? So I, I, think, I think it's so interesting in our society where people do want the flexibility and they want to work remote. And there's nothing wrong with that. But no. everyone t- always talks about the positive aspect of working remote. You get the freedom and flexibility, flexibility to work when, where, and how you want. And that's great. It's hard. That's an easy sell, right? Like that would get sure. anyone excited. The word freedom, in, in a sense, is something that everyone desires regardless of where you live. Um, but there's, there's a dark side. The dark side is that you're not gonna, you could potentially not get as much human contact. You know, if you're not disciplined, if you're not getting out there, if you, for me, it's I'm going, I'm breaking my day up. I'm getting coffee with people, getting breakfast. I'm having video conference calls. Every Monday we have a team meeting. I'm, I'm constantly thinking about this, right, in my head and, and trying to get, trying to serve my basic human needs, right? Maslow's hierarchy of needs. After safety, security, food, and shelter, we need love and friendships. Connection. Otherwise, yeah. we'll never be self-actualized. So, like, no matter what we say and if, if people want to blame technology or not, these are our basic human needs and they're never exactly. going to change. We all... We all have 24 hours in a day. We all pay taxes. We all are, are born and we die. But also, we all have these basic human needs that are not going to go away, regardless of how much virtual reality there are, artificial intelligence, any of these technologies. It's still, we need, we need to connect on a human level. Um, and what you were saying reigns true right here. It's people want to bring their full self, their, their human, into the workplace. And that's Absolutely. why what were you were saying earlier about chapter nine, which is, lead with empathy is so important because 
people, you might not see a physical injury, but people might be suffering from mental illness and you have to be okay with that and support them where they are. And if they need a mental health day, you have to recognize that because again, work is about the work you do and who you do it with. It's less about what company you're working for because on a daily basis, these, this is the type of, of activities that you're doing and who you're doing it with. So if you hate what you do or you don't like who you're doing it with, you're going to eventually leave. Those, you need to have those set because those are the two most important things. It's a little bit less about where you're working or who you're working for or perks like pinball machines or free beer. None of that really matters, right? And I interviewed the former chief people officer at Google and he said, and he said yeah, it's not about any of these perks. It's about working with smart people. But it's important that he said people because it, people is part of the employee experience that you're getting. I was working with a company recently and they talked about how they, you know, they'd bought the cappuccino machines and they bought the bean bags and they bought the foosball machine and all this kind of thing. Right. And they were like, yet we're still got attrition. Right. And I said, of course you do. And they go, well, what do you mean? Of course we do. Like, we, you know, we read from Google and we did the research and this is the kind of thing. And I go, no, you've missed the ingredient. And they go, what's the ingredient? And I go, it's the people. And they go, what do you mean? I said, first question, number one, how many of your team did you ask before you put that stuff in? Because you did the research, that's great. But did you ask them if they care about foosball? No, but we know there's a, no, no. Did you ask them if they care about coffee? No. You know, do you care about, did you ask them if they care about, uh, about beanbags? No. So here's the thing. If you're going to put a foosball table in there, create a foosball tournament. Have people sign up for it. Have people come in the room. Have them have their team sit around, drink a coffee, sit on the bean cushions, and cheer them on because you've got to create community. And this is what I think is missing, and I, th I love what you said about this in the book, is it's about the I, – I like to now think of work in the context of the work that I do is this is a community. I, because of my background in psychology, have worked with companies for so long and said, listen, if you're a leader – Here's the bad news. You're a parent. It sucks because you don't really want to be a parent. You want to be a, you want to be a leader. But that's what a leader is. It's parental. And, and it's not about treating ch people like children, but it is about listening and guiding and, and, and sharing and you know, leading people to become parents of the people they lead. But you've got to include people. You can't do it from this authoritarian position. And so having the foosball, having the, the, the beanbags, having the, the cappuccino machine has to be a reason to create community, not something you shove in there. And then people are like, oh, yeah, there's a foosball machine. Well, they just want to check, the, they want to check the box. Well, yeah, they, they want to check the box. And the people who we are have there, perks here, not in, check. Exactly. But the, the in thing, interesting thing for the people, and this is what I think is missed, is that the employee goes as a foosball machine. But if I play it, my boss is going to see me playing it and going to think I'm a lazy sod, so I'm not doing that. So it stands there because it becomes off limits. So it looks good, but nobody. why is nobody using it? Because you're not sending the message that this is a community for, as you say so much, for humans. So if you're stressed out, go play foosball for 10 minutes, 20 minutes. Come back. Your brain will work better. Yeah, I mean, the, the, there's only four employee engagement factors I cover in the book that are really important. They align to what you speak about too: happiness, belonging, purpose, and trust. And purpose exactly. is obviously one of the things that you preach. They're all connected, though. 
right? If you don't have a strong purpose, if you don't feel like you're blowing, you're not going to be happy. Uh, if you're not a trusting leader and someone who people can confide in and feel comfortable around, then you're not going to feel like you belong with them. You're not going to be happy. They're all, it's all connected. It's all connected. And I think it's only going to become more important because as more and more of the workplace becomes automated, soft skills and the ability to lead and connect with people and manage teams, those are all going to be prioritized because who's going to be managing the machines? Who's going to be managing the people who are going to be managing the machines? It's going to be the leaders. Right. And, um, Absolutely. and machines don't have empathy, but a leader nope. should and must. So slight sidebar, I think it's important. Maybe you won't, and that's fine. Um, and we can drop it if that's the case. But one of the people that you interviewed was Anthony Bourdain. I made a video uh, after Anthony Bourdain suicided, and it was, it's on YouTube. It's called Why Celebrities Suicide. It wasn't just about celebrities, of course. It was about why people suicide. And one of the things I talked about there was how we are looking at, you know, well, how can somebody so successful suicide? You know, they've got it all. And one of the things I talked about is that the number one prevention of suicide is community, is having a community. Uh, um, and we know that, uh, again, research shows that people go through suicide when they feel isolated, suicidal thought processes, when they feel isolated. And the challenge with that, and I think so few people grasp this who don't suffer from depression, I did very severely, but the idea that you can feel isolated in a crowd yeah, and you can feel even more isolated in a crowd where you're the leader and you don't feel anybody can get you. Our show is get designed for leaders. We focus on leaders, whatever the, whatever the, the form that is, but can you talk to us a little bit about that? And it, was there anything you saw in, in that interview that revealed anything to you, even looking back that you maybe didn't see at the time? First, I will say that, you can be around everyone and no one at the same time in our society. Absolutely. So you can be physically next to someone, but not emotionally, spiritually, or, or mentally, which I think is so fascinating. Like mm -hmm. in the subway, at work, wherever you are, there are a lot of people, right? You could connect with these people, but you'd rather default to looking at a device. And, and, you and, see and even simpler, even simpler, you can be one-on-one -on -one with somebody. The loneliest place in the world is to be lonely in a relationship. Because Absolutely. your partner's always on their fucking phone. And, you know, and I've been guilty of it. Yeah, Anthony Bourdain, I think, I was fortunate that interview came to me. Uh, like, I've pitched it for years, but nothing ever happened. I think you could tell on the phone, and I, I don't watch, I didn't never really watch his show too much because I don't have TV, so that prevents me, right? But he just seemed a little exhausted. Mm. That, that was the overall emotion and sentiment from that call was he's had a lot. There's a lot going on there, right? Mm. And, and I think it's fascinating because he might appear and other celebrities and successful might appear like everything's perfect. Right. But you, you never know what's actually happening in their head. They're the ones experiencing that not you. And I think, you know, with Mariah Carey coming out as bipolar, Ryan Reynolds is suffering from anxiety. I suffer from anxiety. So like all of this is coming out. We are, and I think a lot of successful people actually suffer in some way, right? I think mm -hmm. that's, you know, it's like Ryan Holiday's the obstacle is the way. It's like yeah. the obstacle 
could be which could be in your head is actually part of the driver the driver to mm-hmm. what you're accomplishing and i think that we are headed to another chapter in society which is a positive where more and more the more celebrities that come out about their mental health it's game changing like i would mm-hmm. never be able to post on instagram which i did i think 3 months ago about my anxiety and tell the story of my life uh but now i feel more comfortable doing it so it's not just me in terms of where i am in my life but the fact that the more and more people i know or who are famous who are talking about it it opens the door and makes other people feel comfortable to talk about it as well and so i think that actually yeah. could be a little bit of the good thing about technology is that it's easier to post about it than to like publicly say it uh but i think it getting out at all is important because other people are suffering too and they want to feel like they're not alone yeah and it's happening in the workplace i'll tell you i'll tell you something i've been studying mental health in the workplace that this will eventually become book four about my anxiety um but uh you know pwc and other companies now what they do is they allow uh, they have campaigns where employees wear ribbons and the ribbon signifies that you can you can talk to that person about mental health which I think wow. is very cool. But we're still, it's still early. 85% of the global workforce says there's a stigma around mental health at work. Gross. And in the UK, I think it's like 4% of people feel comfortable talking about it to HR. So yeah. it's still, re- we're, we're in the early days, but I'm telling you, with all the meditation going on and mindfulness, yep. it's, it's definitely moving in that direction. Yeah. And that's a re- for me anyway, that's, I believe that's a really good thing. You, um, one of the chapters in the book is the focus on fulfillment. Uh, you know, one of the things that is part of our byline is taking you from success to significance and onto fulfillment to create a legacy. You talk about fulfillment, um, uh, focusing on fulfillment and the five characteristics, uh, in the book. So talk to us a little bit about that, because I think that in my experience, People often confuse success with fulfillment, you know, i.e., you know, the reason I bring it up now is because we just talked about Anthony Bourdain, who had enormous success, many successful people uh, who have enormous success, but clearly lack fulfillment. Can you walk us through that a little bit, Dan? Yeah, I think it's interesting because we think that other people make us fulfilled all the time, but I think what you can make other people fulfilled, but you have to focus on yourself first. Mm -hmm. Like you have to be selfish before you can be generous. If Mm -hmm. you're not in a healthy state, if you're not fulfilled, if you're not excited about work, if you're not doing a leading or doing something that you enjoy and and that you are challenging yourself with, you're not going to be able to inspire other people. You're not, they're not going to be able to get around your mission because you might not even know what that is. So it is about focusing on yourself first. Like I can help a lot. I know exactly what I want to do in life. Like things will change, but like, I have a pretty good idea of who I am and what mm-hmm. I can offer. And because of that, it's very easy for me to post twice a day on Instagram, trying to inspire people because I'm already, I'm good to go. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm sure, I think you feel the same way. It's like, you've already accomplished a lot. You kind of have a good sense of who you are through all of this work and ex- on all these experiences and meeting people and doing all these workshops. And because of that, you have clarity and therefore you can transfer that clarity to, to inspiration for others. That's why I totally yes. believe that this is, this is why it's chapter one, because it sets up the whole book. So the book starts with focus on fulfillment. It ends with uh, like 
improving the employee experience. And employee experience is very holistic. It counts for everything. So it, it right. talks about everything that, that, that I'm, I'm dealing with here. And in terms of fulfillment, I think it, it is about having a connection, a connection with yourself, a connection with others, really having clarity for, you know, what you're looking to accomplish and how other people can be part of that once you know what that is. Um, and then having values. I think if you're looking for a job or if you're looking to lead, regardless of your position, it's about knowing who you are, knowing who you're not, and thinking about what you value and, and then communicating those values to others, right? And they have to be authentic. I know this word gets used a lot, but it has to be real. Like you, you can't fake it because eventually people, especially in our transparent world driven by technology, people are going to figure that out. So it's much better to just take a stand. This is who I am. This is who I'm not. This is what I'm willing to do. This is what I'm not willing to do. And these are the type of people I want to surround myself with because I'm telling you, this has been very interesting the past six months. I'm like, okay, why am I friends with, you know, my, like I'll give you an example. My friend Shane Snow, he wrote Dream Team, he's a very successful entrepreneur. I'm friends with him because we have the same values. Right. Like, I'm, but we come from different environments and backgrounds. So we connect on an emotional basis, but he challenges me intellectually because he comes from a different, a whole different world. He was born in Idaho with like a 10 siblings. Right. And then right. He, you know, his, just his whole life has been very different than me. So I, I can learn from him, but at the same, at the same time underneath, we have similar values so we can connect on a human level. And so that's how I think about friendships now and everyone I'm friends with. They have to be different, but have, have core values that are the same. And then- but You brought up something there that's interesting. I mean, this, and it's a whole other show. Okay, so <laughs> I just get into that. Stay tuned. <laughs> right. So well, it, it just is because the, the truth of the matter is that um, you need to surround yourself with people who will challenge you to grow. Um, but you, and we live in a social media world this is part of the post I just wrote that feeds you the bubble. And, and, it, you know, we used to talk about the left bubble and the right bubble. Now there's the personal bubble and social media has an algorithm that feeds you more of whatever it is you believe. And if you believe stupid shit, it just keeps feeding you stupid shit. That's that doesn't open you up. And as humans, you know, you know, we tend to want to surround ourselves with people who think the same way as we do. And you're never going to get better by surrounding yourself with people who believe you do. I watch Fox. People go, you watch Fox? I watch Fox. I watch CNN. I watch Al Jazeera. I watch Mark. RT. I watch the BBC. I find independent. I have independent journalists that I read. And people go, you're so knowledgeable. Yeah, because I'm taking in many different aspects. I, I read far right. I read far left and I, everything in between because some of the stuff I think is completely nuts. But then I read something and I go, that's a valid point. I may not agree with where it's coming from, but it is a valid point. And I think that part of, again, I think that technology has made us lazy. Yes. Intellectually lazy. Yes. Well, that's what's happening politically. It's happening socially is people want to follow others or read sources that confirm their current beliefs and do, then don't challenge them. And on social media, it's very easy to do that. You just follow certain Facebook accounts, Twitter accounts, Instagram accounts, news sources, and you, you shut yourself off to everything else. Like, it's so interesting. Like, uh, I have a friend who was like, huh, I don't know if I want to take my husband's last name. I might just want to keep mine. And, you know, you could judge her however you want. But what she did is she typed that in 
to Google and what do you think? There was an article that confirmed her belief that she should do it. Uh, but, the, but if she typed in something else, it would have confirmed a different belief why she shouldn't do it. That's the you algorithm. Get what you, want. you get what you want because Google wants to serve you what you want. Exactly. And that's, that's the greatest trap at a human level when we're dealing with, so we dismiss people constantly. We dismiss people because they don't agree with us. Instead of saying, how is this person challenging me to think at a, at a deeper level, at a greater level, to expand myself? Some of, some of I think you may know that uh, two years ago, I went and I spoke at the UN and I spoke with, on one side of me, an ex-neo-Nazi, and on the other side of me, the number one uh, recruiter for Al-Qaeda. Great guys. <laughs> the guy on the right, the guy on, the, on this side of me was an ex-neo-Nazi who I de-radicalized. That's why we were both there talking about de-radicalizing leadership. And the other guy on the other side, who now works for, for George Washington University. And he, you know, he talks about the psychology behind the but you know, great people, and you start to understand that just because somebody's politics is one thing, it's easy to dismiss them as, as a human being. And this is where we come back to empathy and compassion and understanding. Like for me, I, I just, I can't say enough about the importance of emotional intelligence in leadership, but it's still pretty fringe. It's still pretty like, yeah, that's, you know, that's the, that's the HR department. No, the HR department is now your legal department. It's, I call HR department the pre-legal department. You put them through HR to make sure we don't end up in legal. But, what, but we as leaders have a responsibility to be the humans. And that's what I loved about your book is it's calling us back to be human leaders first, right? So, yeah, because so, we, want, we want to be connected with other humans. Exactly. Whether, we're, whether we're consciously thinking about it or not, that's what we actually want inside. Now, I, I recently wrote a book called One Red Thread. It talks about purpose and, and how we find our purpose in our lives. And one of the things I like to know is, not everybody does know, but I'm guessing with, with your uh, self-inquiry, what would you say is that single thread that has connected everything that you've done throughout your life? What, what seems to be that common red thread that runs through your life? Well, my mission statement is to help my generation from student to CEO. So that's on the top of my website. That gives me clarity of, okay, what's, you know, I don't have to think of what's next or what, or what am I doing on a daily basis? I'm just, you know, I'm going along with this, this is the leadership book. Half of people my age have a management title and above, 5% of a director title and above. This is what I'm meant to do at this time period. I have great clarity around that. In terms of, in terms of what I've been through, though, uh, it is great struggle, enormous persistence, and then an accomplishment. And it's always resets. I always start with almost pretty much zero, and then I have to build up again. Instagram, I started with 4,000. I'm up to 33,000. My blog, I started with zero, no comments, no traffic, nothing. Built that up to over a million readers. So like everything in my life has been tough, even though people would perceive it to be easy. My first job out of school, I had an incredible resume. I had two-page resume, eight internships, seven leadership positions on campus, straight A's, my own business, anything you could possibly think of, I had on my resume, and it still took me eight months, meeting 15 people, uh, for three different jobs to get my first job when I graduated. So like, it's always been hard. I didn't get into my college of choice, early decision. I got in, I was deferred, but during that time period, I interviewed on campus. 
I wrote them a letter. I got straight A's my last semester. So it's always, it's always been like this. So that's the thread in terms of like my, my life is it's ups and downs. Every book was rejected by every publisher besides one. I like almost feel like I barely get each deal. And so, but at the same time, it makes you grateful. It makes you appreciate it more. If things come easy, you're not as excited about them. But, you know, it is all storytelling psychologically in your head. And when you go to tell others who will potentially be inspired by the hardships you've uh, uh, overcome over the years. Yeah. I, uh, well, we all know the overnight success usually takes 10 years. He uh, came out of nowhere. Exactly. The new one who came out of nowhere, and it kind of feels like this, is Rachel Hollis. So she's like, crushing it in the self-help community. She has the number one book in, in like at least the country. And it feels like she came out of nowhere because I had never heard her name before. But right. of course, there's the longer backstory of starting a blog. Well, of course. And traffic. Some, and yeah, somebody said to me very recently, wow, you've really exploded. And I'm like, really? <laughs> I'm like, really? I don't, oh, yeah, I see you everywhere. I'm like, oh, okay. And they said, uh, you know, how long have you been doing this? 34 years. <laughs> just you know new kid in the block <laughs> it's just it's crazy one of the things that and i believe about accept it because in 10 years it's gonna be the same thing and you're gonna say i've been doing this for 45 years exactly right so here's the thing as leaders i believe that we must commit to continuous growth and development and i think that the great trap in leadership is to think i'm there and it's one of the questions i like to ask my guests because I think that people often can look at people like yourself, Dan, and many others and go, wow, you know, you're there. Tell us something that you're still working on in yourself, in who you are and how you're trying to grow and develop. What, what is something, what is a, a, a challenge for you that you're still working on overcoming and, and becoming better at, whether that's personal or business or anyway? So this is going to sound pretty funny, but uh, it, over the past year, I would say I've been much more open about my psychology, mental illness, and things that I've, I've come, kind of suffered through. And the way I started to put myself out there and talk about it was I would go on dates with girls. And this I, I didn't like intend for this to happen. It just kind of naturally happened. So it wasn't planned because that would be really bizarre. But I'd be on dates with girls. And if I knew I wasn't interested in them, I would talk about it because I'd have nothing oh. to lose. <laughs> that's that's my little hack of of, of being more vulnerable is really? you really feel like you have nothing to lose you're with a stranger you'll, you know you're never going to see again because you're not into them uh just talk about it and then after a few times doing that then i just opened up to more and more people and it just became more comfortable so that's that was my hack to become more vulnerable fascinating that is fascinating i love it that, that's actually a really cool hack like, yeah. um yeah I'm not interested in this job, so I want uh, half a million a year. Because <laughs> I need to learn to own my value. So, yeah, I want a half a million a year. <laughs> I don't want the job anyway. So, yeah, it's actually a really good idea. That's fabulous. Thank you. So, as we come to towards the end of, of this show, uh, what's a guilty pleasure for Dan? Guilty pleasure is... Yeah, you can tell us. We won't tell anybody. It'll just be between the two of us. Everybody <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't have as many as I used to. I, I'd had more, but now I'm a, I guess I'm too straight edge. 
<laughs> I would say like going away to be able to not have to deal with a lot of things that are happening. So escaping, traveling, Excuse going to, for instance, Costa Rica. I think that's a guilty pleasure because when I was there, I wasn't really doing work, that much work. I was just kind of in my own world. And I think mm. that everyone needs to escape in order to, one, appreciate where they're currently living, two, challenge yourself, take, your, take yourself out of your comfort zone. Like I was, I rappelled down a 250-foot uh, waterfall, right? And that's, that was pretty big for me because sure. I have a fear of heights. And so I have a hack for eliminating the fear of heights if you're interested. I have a fear of heights, sure. Yeah, so... The longer, so like I went with a bunch of friends and if I was the, if I was the first to go, I'd have the least amount of anxiety because I'm, I was getting it over with. Anticipation sure. and anxiety builds the longer you have to wait. And I of knew course. that about myself. Mm-hmm. So I was always the first to go and that's how I did it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the same. I do things first for that, exactly that reason. People say, oh, you know, you're so courageous. No, I'm shitting myself and I just don't want to any longer. So I'm going to go first. <laughs> Exactly. There's a hack for everything. There is. So, uh, so as we finish up here, what I would like to hear from you, Dennis, can you tell, uh, give our audience a piece of practical guidance, um, something they can do in the context of your book, in the context of what it is that you're sharing, something that they can put into action, preferably within the next work day, but certainly within the next five work days. They can say, okay, I'm going to go do this so I can really interact with this. Besides, of course, getting your book, which we'll tell them how to do in a moment. But what's the practical piece of advice you would give them? I want to keep it really simple. So the main Mm -hmm. message in the book is let technology be a bridge to human connection, not a barrier. So in practice, that means that you should use a calendar, text messaging, all this technology in order to sync up, even a chatbot in order to sync up and and allow the technology to enable you to get to a location, a meeting, an office party, a networking event. But when you're in that meeting, you can put your phones in the middle of the table so that everyone knows that they're not gonna be looking at their phones the whole time. They can actually be present and attentive and share ideas and collaborate. Um, At a networking event, if if you go to a networking event and you're still using the technology that got you to the networking event, you're not using it properly. Your goal at the networking event is to actually meet maybe one to three people and actually talk with them and find out what they do and, and how you can help them and what they're you know, struggling with and all that. And so I think let technology get you to a place, let you get you to a video conference, which this happened with us today. Mm-hmm. But once you're there, be attentive. Don't like look at your phone or watch or anything. You, you know, being present is so important because that's the only way to establish the type of emotional connections required to be very effective, to feel like you belong, to uh, increase engagement, and overall just to be happy. I mean, that's what we're trying to really get to here. That's all anyone actually wants. And that requires deep human connection. And because we're spending so much time at work, we need some of that at work too. Absolutely. Thank you. This has been a, a total pleasure and honor. Loved having you here. Please tell our, uh, our listeners, our viewers, where they can find out more about you and all the resources that you offer. Excellent. So you can listen to the podcast, uh, Five Questions with Dan Shabell. I ask people five questions in under 10 minutes. 
you can pick up Back to Human at a bookstore or on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. And you can go and see my research and articles and all the other content at danshawbell.com. It's D-A-N-S-C-H-A-W-B-E-L.com. Thanks, Dove. Thank you, sir. It was a pleasure and honor having you here, my friend. Thank you so much. I really hope that our listeners, our viewers will really take the time to go back, listen over the show again, take notes. But the central message, if you were just, the central message is use technology to allow you to be more human, not less. Is that it? That's it. Thank you, sir. You didn't write the book. (laughs) You'll write (laughs) the sequel. Definitely, you and I got a lot in common on this on this area. There's a lot of a lot of stuff to play with between us. Thank you again for being on, and for you, dear listener, please remember that you can chat about the show that you've just been listening to or past episodes by going on Facebook and finding the group, the Dove Baron Leadership and Loyalty Podcast. If you go there, you can talk about this show. You can talk with some of our ho- uh, some of our guests and some of our other listeners. And remember, the research consistently shows that one of the biggest challenges facing the most successful companies can be somewhat counterintuitive in these fast-growing companies often near a point where they realize they're spending a fortune attracting training and developing talent only to have them leave at an alarming rate it's exactly what dan's been talking about today if you are sick of investing in training and developing of your talent only have them leave you before you get a return on your investment and come talk to us at fullmontyleadership.com where we provide you with the essential leadership skills to rekindle and amplify the hidden loyalty assets inside of your organization by tapping into purpose, fullmontyleadership.com forward slash consulting. We provide you with the concrete soft skills to get you and your organization to the top and keep you there. Why? Because you can't outsource authenticity. Also remember, you can stop by The Matrix, go to matrix.fullmontyleadership.com. You don't need a triple W, just matrix.fullmontyleadership.com and get your authentic leadership self-assessment tool it's valued at 197 it's absolutely free to you it'll show you where the real strengths are in your leadership and where you need to tighten it up a little bit and also remember you can find us on google play and alexa by just simply saying play dove baron podcast thank you for sharing the show with everybody you know till next time stay curious my friend stay curious about how you can use technology to be more human not less i'm dove baron i'm here to assist you tapping into your deep greatness to reach that next level of clarity, focus, purpose, and profit in your business, your life, and your leadership impact. And I am out. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.